Thank you for listening to the Maranatha Free Lutheran Church Sermon Archive. It's our hope that this message would encourage you in your faith and would help you to get to know God's love, grace, and mercy in a personal way. If you have any questions on the sermon or would like to know more about Maranatha, please visit us on the web at maranathafreelutheran.com or call our church office at 218-498-2808. Thank you, and may God bless. It is so good to see some of our Maranatha congregation back together here again today. You know, it's been a very long, almost three months for Pastor Ryan and I preaching to almost empty pews on Saturdays and then watching ourselves on Sundays. Thanks, Caleb, by the way, for not wearing PJs today. <laughs> but, you know, I am awfully thankful that the Lord has provided uh, people and resources so that we could provide services online week after week. And uh, besides Pastor Ryan and I, um, there are a number of other folks that, that have helped make those online services possible. Um, running our camera and, and sound booth and um, praise team and others providing special music at different times and, and various other ones. And I'm not going to mention them all or ask them to stand. Some of them are probably watching online right at this very time. But on behalf of our congregation, I want to express thanks so much for your willingness to serve in that way and make that possible. It wouldn't have happened, it was just up to me. <clears throat> I know there are still a number of folks uh, watching online today and, and our goal is that we can continue to provide that. Uh, and, and I believe that will be possible as far as we know it's working right now to do uh, live streaming at this very moment. I picked that last song that we sang um, because I guess it's, it sums up a lot of what I've come to believe about the local congregation of believers in Jesus Christ. And I think the time apart has only confirmed this to be true. There is a tie that binds believers' hearts and minds together, which is really a, a little glimpse of heaven. Now, heaven is going to be much better, of course. Uh, we won't have things like COVID and, and riots and all that. Uh, in heaven, we will be free of all sin. Meanwhile, here on earth, uh, we saints are also still sinners, and sometimes we sin against each other as well. However, when Christians come together like this for worship, it's a little taste of that unity that will be complete in glory. And not being able to come together these last weeks maybe has helped us to realize just a little bit more how precious the fellowship of believers truly is. The second verse of that song that we sang spoke of how we together then go to the Heavenly Father in prayer and we pour out our hearts to Him, telling Him our joint fears, our hopes, our aims, our cares. And though we haven't been able to be together like this as a congregation, um, I've still seen bits of that, experienced some of that as I've gotten the opportunity to pray with many of you over the phone even these last months. And in these last weeks there are some who have gone through some real trials. And they have expressed to me how good it is to know that there are individuals from our congregation that, that are holding them up in prayer. Now as a way of introducing uh, the focus of the scripture we'll look at today, 
I'm reminded of something that a a pastor friend of mine up in Canada posted online a a week or so ago. And he was reminding folks that the past Thursday was the Feast of Ascension. And then he went on to say this, for you who don't know what that is, it's the day that Jesus started working from home. Some of you are still thinking about that one. Ascension Day, you see, took place after Jesus' death and resurrection. And he ascended back up into his home in heaven. And the Bible tells us that he is there interceding for us and and also preparing a place for us. And so thus, he's working from home. Well, Ascension Day was May 21st, and and today is Pentecost Sunday. And and so today I'd like us to look in the book of Acts at some scattered verses there. We're going to look at chapter 1 significantly, and then a few other verses after that that talk about both um, his ascension and also Pentecost And really those first chapters of the book of Acts are a historical account of Jesus' ascension. And then the gathering of believers in Christ after that. And then the Holy Spirit working among them and what he did in and through them. I invite you to look with me. Acts chapter 1, being verse 1, will be on the screen there in just a moment. Would you stand again in reverence to God's word as we read? first account I composed, Theophilus, about all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day that he was taken up to heaven, after he had, by the Holy Spirit, given orders to the apostles whom he had chosen. To these he also presented himself alive after his suffering by many convincing proofs, appearing to them over a period of forty days and speaking of the things concerning the kingdom of God, and gathering them together. He commanded them not to leave Jerusalem, but to wait for what the Father had promised, which he said, You heard from me, for John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. And so when they had come together, they were asking him, saying, Lord, is it at this time you're restoring the kingdom of Israel? And he said to them, It's not for you to know times or the epochs which the Father has fixed by his own authority, but you will receive power. When the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses, both in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria, and even to the remotest part of the earth. And after he had said these things, he was lifted up while they were looking on, and a cloud received them out of his sight, out of their sight. And as they were gazing intently into the sky while he was going, behold, two men in white clothing stood beside them, and they said also, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into the sky? This Jesus who has been taken up from you into heaven will come in just the same way as you watched him go into heaven. Then they returned to Jerusalem from the mount called Olivet, which is near Jerusalem, a Sabbath day's journey away. And when they had entered the city, they went up to the upper room where they were staying. That is Peter and John and James and Andrew, Philip and Thomas, Bartholomew and Matthew, James the son of Alphaeus, Simon the zealot, and Judas the son of James. These all, with one mind, were continually devoting themselves to prayer, along with the women, and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and with his brothers. And at this time, Peter stood up in the midst of the brethren. A gathering of about 120 persons was there together. And he said, and we won't read at this point what he said, but as they then chose um, somebody to take the place of Judas. And then we go on to glance at chapter 2. And it won't be on the screen there, but just bear with me. I want to just look at a few verses that follow in the next chapters. And there we have the introduction to Pentecost of chapter 2, verse 1. When the day of Pentecost had come, 
They were all together in one place, and suddenly there came from heaven a noise like a violent rushing wind, and it filled the whole house where they were sitting. And there appeared to them tongues as a fire distributing themselves. They rested on each one of them, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. They began to speak with, with other tongues as the Spirit was giving them utterance. As you look on in chapter 2, then Peter explains what had happened there, and, and he gives his, his sermon there that resulted in people seeing their need for Jesus, and 3,000 souls were added to that gathering that day. And then you read on at the end, or toward the end of chapter 2. And I saw I had my Bible there, but I was looking at the other scriptures. One second. <clears throat> there in chapter 2, verse 46, it tells us, about this gathering of 3,000 men and, and what they were doing as they continued days after. Day by day, they were continuing with one mind in the temple, breaking bread from house to house and taking their meals together with gladness and sincerity of heart. Praising God and having favor with all the people, and the Lord was adding to their number day by day those that were being saved. Chapter 3 tells us about the healing of a, a blind beg or a lame beggar and, and then Peter's second sermon, and it stirs up the Jewish religious leaders so much that they arrest him and, and they hit him and John and they put him in prison for a bit and they threaten them that they're going to speak anymore in the name of Jesus. And then we see in chapter 4 that they were released and, and they, when they got out, what we see is that they were gathered with the fellow believers and, and they prayed for boldness to keep proclaiming the message of Christ. Let's pray. Lord God, we ask that as we meditate on these verses and we consider your word telling us about that first congregation and how it grew and spread, Lord, that you'd give us a glimpse of what you want our congregation too to be. And Lord, that you would speak to each heart and point us to Jesus, who is our hope. We pray in his name. Amen. Please be seated. As I thought about it, there are some interesting similarities between this group here at the beginning of Acts and the group that are here in, in Maranatha Sanctuary today. Both groups have been practicing social distancing. That is, they both have been limiting their time out in public. Both groups have been doing so partially in the past because of fear. And both groups have been gradually getting bolder as their numbers have increased. And so... Today, we have a group gathering here, and, and we calculated it all out so we could still be cooperating with the state's recommendations of about 25% capacity, and, and we knew we could still have 100 to 120. So similar numbers, perhaps, even to that group first gathered there in Acts chapter 1. As we look at this group there in Acts 1, we see a gathering of believers in Jesus Christ. And what we're seeing here is what we often call a congregation. And you know, when we talk about going to church and think about going to the building, which we've come to appreciate here, um, we may miss the concept, though. The church is really not a building, but it's a congregation. The, the Greek word that's translated in our English Bible as church is actually this word ekklesia that means a gathering, an assembly, or a congregation. And that's what we see then repeatedly in those first chapters of Acts, this group of believers gathering together. Verse 15 of chapter 1, there's 
it tells us it was a group of about 120 that chose that replacement for Judas. And then in chapter 2, on the day of Pentecost, it says that they were all gathered together again in one place. And that had become a pattern for them. And while they were all together, then the Holy Spirit came upon them and filled each of them individually. And in chapter 4, after Peter and John had gotten arrested and put in prison for preaching Christ, the congregation were together again, likely praying for them even while they were in prison. And there's something about coming together with other believers that's significant. And this pattern of coming together is seen throughout the New Testament, not just in those first chapters in Acts. And you know, I have personally, I have struggled inside in these last weeks with the limitations to gathering together that have been placed on our state in efforts to limit the spread of this virus. And I've had to ask myself this question, well, is that gathering essential or not? And I truly do believe that it is essential in some way or another in that something happens as we gather together as fellow believers for worship that really isn't duplicated in any other way. I read an article talking about that, and and I'm going to quote a portion of it here. He said, "When, When the saints physically gather with one another in worship on the Lord's Day, they are doing nothing less than coming together to meet with Christ in a particular way, which does not occur anywhere else on earth. And not only are we gathering to meet with Christ, but we're also gathering to offer Him our worship and to receive from Him a word. As I read on the article, I was reminded that the Bible does not command where to meet or or when or even how to some degree or, or how many Christians should be physically gathering together. Nor does it tell us how many it takes to make a congregation. But it does tell us not to neglect meeting together with other Christians. And he went on in the article to say this, as it pertains to the New Testament church, the substance of our worship is preaching prayer, singing, and the sacraments. These elements of worship cannot be changed by Christians, but the circumstances of our worship can be changed. Yet the Bible clearly commands Christians to physically gather with others together. We see that pattern for believers gathering regularly, starting right after Jesus ascended to heaven. And a second thing to note here then is this, the foundation of that gathering. The congregation was founded on Christ. All who were part of it at that point were in agreement concerning Jesus. They believed him to be the Son of God. They believed him to be the Savior, the Messiah, the promised one that the Old Testament prophets have talked about. They believed that his death on the cross was God's remedy for their sin problem. And that through, and through it then their debt was paid. And all who believed in Jesus then would be forgiven of all of their sins. And they believed that Jesus physically died on that cross. And he was placed in a tomb. And then three days later rose from the dead to life again. And because they knew that to be true, they also then had a confidence that he could raise others from the dead someday as well. And they had seen the risen Christ. They had watched him ascend back into the clouds. And and they believed his promise that he would one day return and, and raise the dead. And then declare judgment on all who were unbelievers and eternal rewards for all who believed in him. And those are the very things, aren't they, that we also confess about Jesus each Sunday as we gather here. And as we confess our Christian faith like we did in the words of the Apostles' Creed. 
A third thing I notice about this gathering in Jerusalem is that the congregation was joining together in prayer. They prayed together a lot. The whole group prayed together while they waited in Jerusalem for that day when the Holy Spirit would come upon them. They, they prayed together when they had decisions to make. They prayed together for Peter and John in prison. They prayed together when they got out for fresh boldness. And, and you see then, <clears throat> previously, when you think about it, the, these folks that had followed Jesus had had a direct physical and verbal interaction with Jesus, the Son of God here on this earth. But here now, Jesus was no longer with them physically. And yet he was still with them in the form of his Holy Spirit. And so their communion or their communication with him then continued and continued through prayer. And whatever else we do as we go forward as a congregation, I, I'm convinced that this is a vital part of congregational life, that, that we talk with our leader together, that we talk with Jesus regularly together. Whatever the size of the group that gathers, whether that be a hundred here on Sundays or, or a dozen for Saturday morning men's breakfast or for a WMF group or, or 20 at Saltines or even three in a discipleship triad. Jesus told us where two or three are gathered together in my name, there I am in their midst. And so as we come together, we pray to him and we ask him to lead us even as that first congregation did. And when we do that, something else happens, even as it did for that first congregation. And we see it here. This congregation that was founded on Christ and was joining in prayer to him then moved forward with one accord or with one mind. Do you notice that? That's what I was reading in some of those phrases in the chapters that followed the first one there. Um, that repeated phrase, with one mind or or with one accord came up several times in, in those next verses and all the way into chapter 5. And though the, in our English translation it might have a slightly different wording on some of them, um, in, the, in the original language it's all one word and it's this word describing inner unity, a oneness of heart and mind of a group of people. And when a group of people acts single-mindedly, unanimously, in harmony and unity without dissent, they are operating in what Bible talks of as one accord. One commentator suggests about that, the image is, is almost musical. A number of different notes are sounded in music, um, and though they are different, they can harmonize in, in pitch and tone. And as the instruments of a great concert or direction of a concert master, so we have the Holy Spirit who then blends together the lives of members of Christ's church and brings us together in unity. And that's the fifth thing then that I, about this congregation I see at Jerusalem is that happens through the power of the Holy Spirit. And they were filled with and empowered by the Holy Spirit. There was a great change that came upon those fellow believers at Jerusalem. And that change came because of the Holy Spirit. He'd already been at work before Pentecost, but there was a powerful filling that came upon them as they were gathered that day and they were given the ability to speak languages that they had not studied or learned. And, and thus they were able to spread the gospel to people of various nations that were there in Jerusalem that day. And as we think about the work of the Holy Spirit among that congregation in Jerusalem, there, there's some things that stick out to me 
as evidence of his work in their hearts, in their lives. And I want to just think about this. First of all, it's the Holy Spirit that calls people. He calls people in the first place to come and believe in Jesus. And he uses human instruments then to declare his word. How was it that those followers of Jesus grew from those 12 disciples to 120 in that upper room and then to 3,000 souls at Pentecost Sunday? Well, the Holy Spirit empowered Peter to boldly stand and to proclaim God's word, proclaim his law, showing the crowd their sinful condition, and then God's gospel declaring there's forgiveness for you in Jesus Christ. And through that message then, the Holy Spirit called people to a personal faith, a personal belief in Jesus as their Lord and Savior. It's also the Holy Spirit that gathered believers together there at Jerusalem, and he still does that today, even here and now. And you came because the Holy Spirit has placed that desire in your heart to gather with other believers. It's also the Holy Spirit that worked that unity in that Jerusalem congregation so that they could be there in one accord. And as they prayed together seeking God's guidance, they, they could act together with one mind and one heart, desiring God's will to be done in all things. And I think we need to pray for that same unity as we move forward as a congregation in the midst of some very troubled times. It's also the Holy Spirit that worked among them a, a love for each other. That, that as you look on in those chapters, and we won't spend time in those verses today, but it tells us a couple different places of how the result was that their love for each other made them eager to meet each other's needs physically as well. And as we go forward in these days, there might be some of us or others around us that are in real need. May the Lord open our hearts to each other and to our communities to help meet some of those needs. It's also the Holy Spirit that worked in individual hearts and in that group together to give them a boldness. A boldness to be willing to even risk their own lives, to proclaim to the world their sin and their need for a Savior in Jesus Christ. And that's the sixth and last thing I see here in this congregation at Jerusalem. They boldly proclaimed the gospel. In Acts 4, when they encountered opposition and persecution, they banded together in prayer. And instead of what we might think of just praying for protection, they prayed for boldness to keep proclaiming that message, which they saw really as the only one true hope for the world. And is that not true today as well? You know, these last days and nights, we've seen some chaos break out in our land. After that video went viral showing police brutality to a black man in Minneapolis. It resulted in uh, unnecessary and tragic death of him. Then Minneapolis, it seems, has erupted in anarchy. And what began as really appropriate, peaceful demonstrations turned to lawless destruction of lots of property in Minneapolis. And it spread now to many cities around our nation where they're seeing things like that that we've never seen before. It became so dangerous in Minneapolis that the Minnesota National Guard was called out in significant numbers. And last night we heard that some of that same crowd chaos and destruction took place in downtown Fargo as well. What's the answer to all this racial tension that exists in our land? What can calm hearts and, and get us to listen and to care for folks of a different skin color? or different ethnicity than our own? What can melt away the anger and the hatred that seems to be raging in our land? I know of only one thing, 
And that is the gospel of Jesus Christ. Galatians chapter 3 tells us this. It says, For in Christ Jesus you all are sons of God through faith. For as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. And then it says, And there is therefore neither Jew nor Greek, neither slave nor free, there is neither male nor female, for you are all one in Christ. This is the time for the Christian church to rise up with a message of hope, a message of forgiveness of sin, a message of reconciliation to God and to our fellow man. And that is found only in our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Mark Sayers, uh, speaking of things uh, as he was thinking about opening up things after the lockdowns we've encountered um, in our country, uh, said this about the Christian church. He said, after we come out of a crisis, there's a sense in which one wants to just get back to normal. But God was already preparing a people before this crisis, and I believe there's going to be a remnant in the global church who step into the invitation of this moment and who come back with a tenacity of faith, a spiritual resilience. And my hope is that when dawn breaks, the church is actually going to come back stronger. And he concludes, my encouragement for leaders at this moment who are feeling frightened, scared, or a loss of control is to step into this moment. It's an incredible moment. God wants to do something, so step into it. In conclusion today, what, what made those disciples and, and those 120 come out of what you might say was like a lockdown? Well, it was the filling of the Holy Spirit. And it was that they had no fear of dying because they knew Jesus Christ and they knew they had eternal life in him. And it was because they also were convinced that the world needed Jesus. In these first chapters in the Acts, we see a congregation founded on Jesus Christ, joining together in prayer, moving forward with one accord, filled and empowered by the Holy Spirit, and boldly proclaiming the message of the gospel to a very needy world. And is that not what we want to be today as well? Let's pray. Lord, sometimes uh, we think of what's going on around us and we maybe are unaware of many things that have taken place in history. There have been many other times in all over the world where things have been perhaps way worse than what we see now. And, and Lord, as we look back at history, we recognize that there has been a light that has offered hope. And there have been times you brought revival and change in, in whole nations and, and that spread beyond that. And we pray for that again, Lord. We thank you that in, in the Jerusalem congregation there is a model for us, a reminder of, of what's important. That as we gather together today, we are united in what we believe about you, Jesus. And Lord, you draw us together in prayer and, and you help us that we would move forward uh, in unity. And Lord, we recognize that each one of us have fears and concerns that hinder us from being bold about sharing our faith. But we pray that we be reminded today your Holy Spirit lives within each of us and empowers us to live out our faith as we uh, go about our daily lives and interact with people around us. And, and so, Lord, we pray that you would give us a fresh boldness today as well. Uh, 
Lord, sometimes that's in sharing words and sharing the gospel message, but sometimes it starts with just being willing to love and care for people around us. Uh, help us to do that, we pray. And, and Lord, we thank you for this opportunity to come together again at last, and, and we pray for that to continue, and, and we pray for those that aren't able to be here for whatever reason, Lord, that uh, you administer their hearts even as they are part of this uh, virtually today. Uh, we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.